Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Sciences. Good morning, Chris. Morning. Interesting first story. We're going to be talking about fat. That is what many millions of years ago, able to reveal some interesting things about some early known animal. Yeah, a stunning story, this one. One of the big mysteries is how life on Earth got started and how we got here. Now, we know life on Earth got started quick. So something like about four billion years ago, the first life forms were already operating. But then things stayed pretty quiet for a long time until about 600 million years ago. And then suddenly we went from what was just microbes for billions of years to big stuff. And there are fossils from about 570-odd million years ago of these bizarre things that no one knows what they are. We just know they're big fossils and they were alive. But no one can say, based on looking at them, were they animals or were they plants or were they just some bizarre evolutionary experiment? Mm. Now, the way to nail this has been achieved by scientists in Australia this week, and they've published the paper in the journal Science. Jochen Brock and his colleagues obtained some fossils of a species called Dickinsonia. This looks a bit like, if you look at the pictures of Neil Armstrong's boot print on the moon, there's just a sort of blob with some tread marks. This fossil looks a bit like that. It's it's a sort of bean-shaped thing. In some cases, they are a metre and a half across. They would have lived on the ocean floor, very flat, probably interacting or feeding on the microbial mat of material that was there. That's all we know about them. We can't see a mouth. We can't see a bottom end. We can't see any other way that they would have moved around. So were they alive? Were they an animal? What this group amazingly did with these fossils was to use a very aggressive chemical treatment to get out of this fossil, which is nearly 600 million years old, the fats and the cholesterol that would have been in the living tissue of that fossil when it was alive. And they've analysed the chemical fingerprint of that cholesterol and it is only found in living things like us. In other words, animals. So what they have proved is that these things that were around and very big at about 570 million years ago were the first big life forms on Earth. And so this really moves us forward a very long way because we now understand a lot more about the processes that would ultimately have given rise to us. These are our ancestors, if you like. But it shows us that very quickly, uh, when it started to happen, big life sprung up and was probably very peaceful life because it was there for millions of years and then it disappears. And I said to Jochen Brock, well, where did they all go? And he said, well, probably some new animals evolved that just ate these guys who had no way to defend themselves. So isn't history interesting and have a, having a strange habit of repeating itself? Absolutely fascinating. Paul, good morning and welcome to the show. You had a question last week we didn't have time for. Put it to Chris right now. Good morning, everybody. My son is at university and he's busy with his third degree. And there's a lot of students that are now uh, saying that the Earth is flat and they've got very good arguments for it. Like, for example, the Earth spins. And then if you're in the center of the, the Earth, like at the north or south pole, you should, you, you'd be fine. But if you move close to the equator, the Earth will carry you off. And they come with all these very good arguments. And, um, you know, my son says uh, he's challenged me to prove to him that... Um, 
undoubtedly that the earth is round. So you fully believe that the earth is, is, is flat. And they, you know, there is no physics and all that stuff. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not on that level. So, yeah, how can one prove to them that the earth is round? I want to add to that question, if I may, as well, Chris. I've always wanted to know as well. Is the earth actually round? What is its actual shape? Do we, we say the word round? Uh, those of you who are the scientists sometimes use the word spherical. What is the difference? What is the actual truth about its pr- precise shape? Okay, first off, just to disabuse anyone of the notion, the earth is a sphere. Okay, the earth is not flat. And I don't know where these nutcases come from. And I'm sorry to use such dismissive language, but they're (laughs) mad. Okay, these people are mad. And hundreds of years ago, they would be forgiven because they didn't have the education and access to the information we have today. These people are mad. The earth is not flat. Okay, if you look in space, you can see evidence that things in space are not flat. The moon is not flat. The earth is is not flat. Mars is not flat. The sun is not flat. They're all big round balls because of gravity. Gravity is a function of mass. Big things, lots of mass in one place, creates gravity. Therefore, it pulls things towards itself and it pulls things through its centre of mass, which means things organise themselves in such a way to have the most efficient arrangement of the particles to give them as close a packing as they can achieve. And that means a sphere. So the Earth is a sphere. We know it's a sphere partly through observation. People have been into space and they've looked at the Earth from space. We know it's, we know it's round. We've got satellites which are orbiting the Earth. They're going round in a big circle-ish. So we know it's round. There's an international space station with people on board it going round 400 kilometres above the Earth about, I don't know, 15 times a day. It's round. So that lays that one to rest. It's not perfectly round, though, Eusebius. You're quite right to raise this point. The Earth has a bulge. Because the Earth is spinning north to south around its axis, the equator feels, and I I don't want to create arguments with physicists, but it feels a centrifugal force. We'll use that term loosely, but basically because it's spinning, it creates a bulge around the equator, so it's a bit fat around the middle, like much of its human population, and that means it's not a perfect sphere, but it's good enough. So it's a little bit bulgy around the middle, but it is round. It's not flat. Okay, now this is uh, The Naked Scientist. It's not talking sex, but there's a scientific element to Mox's question that otherwise I would have described if it was with Dr. Eve as an orgasmic question. Mox, what is your question? I'm sure Chris is now very Hi. curious what I'm alluding to. Yes, please. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Yes. Thanks, man. Thanks, uh, Dr. Naked, I've been always wondering about about this concept. Uh, I've observed animals, different animals, human beings, throughout the process, whenever they're having therapy of sex, there's a time of screaming, shouting. I don't know what causes that. What what happens in the body? What tells what, what what's happening in the mind? Lovely question. Yeah. We, yeah. Okay, How so, do we come to that level? Mm. Why so why do we scream when we yeah. have sex? And it's <laughs> unique to us. <laughs> why are some people screamers? It's not unique to humans, actually. Lots of animals do make noises, but sometimes they make noises because it's not comfortable. And some animals, mm. like foxes, for example, to make sure that they actually have a successful coupling, sometimes the male gets stuck inside the female for a period of time. And when they try to disentangle themselves... Actually, it's terrifically painful for at least one of the two parties, and that can cause yelping and and shouting. But humans tend to do this not because um, they feel that they 
can't suppress it because if you ask people can you suppress these these shouts and screams in the same way that Venus Williams um, seems to make a lot of noise when she plays tennis and Serena as well mm. um, th- there's there's no evidence that they couldn't not do that but people do it because it gives them more encouragement it gives them encouragement but it also gives their partner encouragement so we think it's mm. a sort of part of the bonding process and people do it because they're saying yes I like that do it more and it's a very very uh, encouraging way of saying do more of that I like it Hmm. Teddy, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We are extremely well. Thank you, Teddy. Speak up a little bit for me. What question have you got for us? Okay, my questions are connected. One is, I just wanted to know, why do crabs walk sideways? Why do crabs walk sideways, Chris? Uh, It is because of the function of their anatomy. Their legs are organised in such a way that the most efficient way for them to move without getting their legs all tangled up is to go sideways. And because if they were to walk forwards, then the legs behind would crash into the legs in front of them and they'd have to have evolved their anatomy in a different way and the way they move in a different way. So actually they have evolved to move sideways because that way they can move the fastest way they possibly can to get away from predators. Nklamu, mm. Law, good morning to you. Good morning. My question is about the Indian Ocean. We share the ocean with a couple of other countries. For instance, in Devon and Cape Town, uh, the Indian Ocean is quite violent. It's got a lot of waves. But as we go up north, like for instance in Zanzibar, it's calm and quiet. You can actually, you say this, and I can swim a kilometer into the sea mm. and do snorkeling. But you can't do the same in PE where you say this comes from. Oh, what a lovely question. Yeah. Chris? Yeah, well, the the reason partly is because where you get down south, you've obviously got an interface between not just the Indian Ocean but the Southern Ocean and around the corner is the is the Atlantic Ocean. So there's a meeting of many different bodies of water and lots of ocean currents. There's an upwelling of cold water coming from the Antarctic which comes up near Cape Town and along the southern coast of Southern Africa. And all of these things are going to create local conditions. They're going to have different effects on wind. Wind is also going to have a very strong driving force as it comes across the open ocean. So there are all these different effects which which affect how rough the sea is, also the local geography and whether the, whether the sea has encountered um, a, a sort of a, a sudden abrupt change in depth which will cause waves to heap up or whether the seafloor just slopes up gently so the sea just gently loses its energy against the seafloor as it comes in towards the land. So there's a whole range of different factors which are both physical and also geographical which affect how rough the sea is in a particular area um, and, and I suspect that's the, the factors that are at play here. I think we've got a question for you via our WhatsApp voice note number. Chris, let's have a listen to this one. Hello, Eusebius and the Naked Scientist. My name is Bongani. I'm calling from Kahiso. Could the Naked Scientist help us and tell us what are really true benefits of smoking marijuana and what are the dangers? I'm worried in light of the judgment that was passed this week. Thank you. You've probably caught wind of that judgment here. It's uh, been reported globally, Chris. The At least the beginnings of decriminalization of the private cultivation and use of marijuana in small amounts um, is now something South Africans can do without uh, falling foul of criminal law. Yes. So this is a plant which, just like tobacco, if smoked, can produce effects that some people like. Now, there are pros and cons to this. The pros are that people who like doing that are doing something that that they want to do and they're not doing it illegally. The downside is that actually there may well be considerable health consequences, especially if not done responsibly. The 
level of knowledge we have at the moment is that some of these marijuana plants, which have been bred for the drug industry, have very high levels of chemicals, including one called THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, which has very powerful, profound psychoactive effects and has been linked to people experiencing psychosis, in other words, schizophrenic-type symptoms. And there is a link between people using marijuana and people developing some of these conditions. Although what we're not clear about at the moment is whether people use a lot of marijuana because they're developing one of these conditions and they use the marijuana to feel better, or whether the marijuana triggers the condition to happen in the first place. We're not entirely sure at the moment whether it's chicken or egg here. But we do know there is that strong association. There's also evidence that the use of marijuana does rewire your brain. It strongly affects the circuits in the brain that are concerned with reward and motivation. And people who are users, long-term chronic users of marijuana, do suffer from a lack of motivation and reward. The chemicals in marijuana also strongly stimulate the parts of the brain that are concerned with appetite. And this is why people describe classically the marijuana munchies. People who use the drug say they then develop a serious hankering for high-calorie food and they tend to binge. So it's also associated with weight gain. That's some of the sort of neurological effects. Some of the other effects, you are smoking something if you smoke it. And if you smoke this stuff, anything that's uh, smoke going into your lungs is going to have a very deleterious effect on your lungs. There's a lot of tar in marijuana. It's irritating to lung tissue and therefore may accelerate lung ageing even beyond the effects of just the tobacco that you mix it with. So smoking is always bad, but marijuana may add an additive bad effect on your lung tissue and therefore uh, you need to be aware of that if you use it. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Sciences. Nigel, good morning to you. What's your question? Hi, um, I'm a beekeeper and I look after the Western Cape bees. Um, social honeybee and the female worker bee um, cannot physically mate but she can practice something called parthenogenesis which means she can lay a fertilized egg and I'm very curious to know scientifically how that process actually works biologically within the bee and then the second part of the question is what other animals, I believe geckos and lizards and things, can also potentially practice this? Um, it's just something that I'm very curious about, and I'll, just, I'll listen on the radio. Okay. Morning. Yeah, wonderful question. Now, the thing to consider here, when, you, when you're talking about females and female reproduction, there is this process you, call, you, you have referred to called parthenogenesis. Females can lay eggs. But if they haven't got anyone to mate with, then they're going to lay an egg, which has only got half the amount of genetic information in it. So what some species can do is to lay an egg, which has got half the amount of genetic information, but then they can double up the genetic information that they do have so that they've got the right amount of genetic information in the egg and it can continue to develop. And now in a, in a bee colony, the female is the one that's mating, has the sperm, has the eggs and can lay those eggs. And the female, the, bee, the, the queen bee will normally suppress uh, any of the sister female bees reproductive processes with various pheromones and hormones but sometimes as the queen ages I, I believe it's when the queen ages and her pheromonal influence declines a bit then sometimes some of the other female workers can begin to become or attempt to become reproductively active um, but that's not that's not the normal way normally the the way this works is that the bees are foregoing their own reproduction in favor of supporting the queen because they're all genetically related and therefore by the queen reproducing successfully that means that they're all indirectly keeping their genes 
in the population. Other animals do this too, and famously Komodo dragons have the ability to undergo parthenogenesis, and this was discovered and proven for the first time about 10 years ago at a London Zoo. What they showed is that uh, Komodo dragons, if, uh, if there's just a female, there's no male to mate with, the female can produce offspring. The offspring, though, will default to male. Because in a Komodo dragon, if you have, unlike a human where you have two X chromosomes making a female, if you have two of the same chromosomes, the animal develops as a male. So if you have a female kept on her own, she will produce a, uh, a bipartenogenesis male offspring, and then you've got a, a male and a female that could mate and have sex and produce offspring the more normal way and so that's what we think has happened because if these animals were were washed away onto you know across the ocean onto a remote island or something if a female on her own arrives there there's still the capacity to reproduce and start a new male and female sexually reproducing breeding colony from just one female starter okay thanks for your question much appreciated Polisua, good morning yes i'd like to know about emotion sickness i was once on a military ship a few years ago, I couldn't, I couldn't stand on my feet for the rest of the 24 hours. But earlier this year, I was on a cruise ship and had not had single a minute of of that. What causes motion sickness? Well, to be honest, we really don't know or don't understand this. I mean, it seems totally illogical, doesn't it, that the chronic disturbance of what we call the vestibular apparatus, the vestibular system, is inside your inner ear. It is a series of fluid-filled canals which are organised in all three axes of movement, so side to side, front to back, and um, middle to you know each side. And those detect movement, and they are used to match the movement of your eyes to the movement of your head, so you can maintain constant balanced gaze. For some reason we don't understand, if you input lots of contrasting changing signals into that vestibular system by shaking around, moving around, rocking backs and forwards. It really upsets the system and your body decides that the reason that this is happening is because you must have been poisoned and therefore the most logical thing to do is to throw up. Now, no one knows why the body has reached this conclusion or how it got to do that, but that's what happens. Perhaps it's something in our our ancestry where these sorts of symptoms were caused by exposure to toxins and things in the environment, and so it probably was a lifesaver to throw up. Perhaps that's where it came from. It's not also common to everybody. Some people get this worse than others. Also, age is an effect. People tend to find that when they're young, it's less profound and less pronounced, and as they get older it's more of a problem for them. But also the type of vessel you're on, the uh, amount of swell, how much things are changing, and whether or not you can actually maintain gaze on the horizon and see where you're going also makes a very big difference. So it's it's a very strong psychological thing with a neuroscience underpinning um, and is very unpleasant if you have it, but you can take anti-emetics, anti-sickness drugs, and they are quite effective. There are antihistamines, drugs like cyclozine, which can help you a bit, and there are some other, other drugs, there's one called metoclopramide as well, which are quite good at suppressing these symptoms in some people. Squeeze in a last question, Chris. We've got about a minute or two left. Molly, good morning to you. What is your question for Chris? Morning. I'm female 26, and I just recently started growing beard. Uh, and no one from my family, female, has it. So I'm worried here. Maybe it could be something I ate, or is there a way to stop it? I'm even afraid that I say it will just grow more. 
Molly has started growing a beard in her 20s, Chris. Yes, hello, Molly. I'm sorry to hear yes, about I'm that. That, that can be quite distressing for you. Um, the, the thing to bear in mind is that this does happen, and usually facial hair grows for a number of reasons. In some people, it just happens. In other people, it can be under the influence of hormones, and usually facial hair is driven by the male hormone testosterone or related hormones called androgens. And if this is happening and it suddenly started happening to you, then something must have changed to make that happen. I would urge you to to seek the advice of a doctor who may be able to do some hormone tests and see if you have certain conditions that can raise the level of male hormones in the bloodstream a little bit because women are very sensitive to these androgens and that may be the reason and it may be relatively easy to control. But don't panic because people think that if you trim beard or you trim facial hair it'll grow more that isn't true um you the hair is dead it doesn't know if it's being cut or not so if you were to trim them for cosmetic reasons in the short term it's not going to do any harm at all i would urge you to go and see somebody who can who can assess you properly though and investigate and find out why this has suddenly started happening all the best to you molly thanks so much for that question chris thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us we'll do it again next week thank you eusebius bye-bye Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.